Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Star Trek Spirits. Visit StarTrekSpirits.com today for the all-new Romulan Vodka and Romulan Rye. Take 10% off your order with special code Roddenberry at StarTrekSpirits.com. This episode is also sponsored by ExpressVPN. Stop letting people keep logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash missionlog right now and find out how you can get three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash missionlog. Expressvpn.com slash missionlog to learn more. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 483, Sacred Ground. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a journey deep into an episode of Star Trek, hoping that it reveals itself to us and the morals, meanings, and messages contained within. This week, Sacred Ground, the one where Janeway holds a stone for a very long time. Wait, that's it? That's... Wait, that's that's all you have on this? That's all you have for this? Yeah, I, mean, I, I watched it. What? Janeway holds a rock, and, and she's standing there, and, and she's holding it. And you cut away to something else, come back, she's still standing there holding a rock. I mean, and the, there's more to it than the, just that, just holding a rock. I mean, you, you did take notes on this. You Didn't you take any other notes? <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly the kind of thing you would expect me to do. I'm telling you, all you have to do is believe in this episode of Mission Log, and it will be just fine. That's all there is to it. Uh, uh, Well, look, you've got about 15 seconds for me to tell people where to contact us, and then we have to do an ad, so you'll probably want to believe up some talking points and trivia pretty soon to get us through the rest of the segment. All right. All right. For you, I believe I can do at least that much. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek, Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. We'll have John's trivia in a moment. I mean, if you wrote trivia. But first, a word from one of our sponsors this week, Star Trek Spirits. All right. Look, appreciation for a good drink has been with Star Trek since the very beginning. From the time Dr. Boyce made a martini for Captain Pike to the time that Bones gave Kirk a gift of Romulan ale and many points beyond. So the question became how to create a line of premium spirits that are worthy of the Star Trek name. Enter our friends at StarTrekSpirits.com, because they have done exactly that with Romulan Ale Vodka and Romulan Ale Rye, which, well, Norman, you and I have both tried and we are both fans of. And most of our audience by now knows that we're talking about limited edition releases 
in individually numbered bottles. These took years in the making. This wasn't just taking something off the shelf. This was referencing original props, making sure that they had plenty of the details down pat, and then hiring a world-class spirits team to come up with the right thing to fill that bottle. I mean, I don't want to sound presumptuous, but oh, go it's ahead. not an if you're going to buy this bottle. <laughs> this is a when you buy this bottle, because when you buy this bottle and when it arrives, when you hold it in your hand, mm-hmm. you're going to take a close-up look on this exquisite, custom-designed, handmade bottle. The gold foil stamping with the Romulan symbol from the Romulan bottle that you see in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, it's hot stamping, which means it's not on the surface, which is protected from all the washing that you're going to do because you can get to reuse this bottle when you're done enjoying your spirits. There okay, you these go. are world-class spirits. Like John yeah. talked about, yeah, I know. I love yeah. having that bottle still <laughs> in my hand on my shelf. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a technically challenging process, not just the spirits creation, but also the production of this wonderful screen-accurate carafe as well. The mission for Star Trek spirits is to create this new line of ultra-premium spirits worthy of the Star Trek universe and worthy of you, the fan. The great thing about this bottle, John, is that Star Trek spirits, they worked together with the Star Trek prop masters and the team at the Star Trek library and got the original designs for the front artwork application, that gold foil hot stamping that I just talked about using a process that adheres that logo directly to the glass. So from the topper, you know, which is also screen accurate. They utilize the most futuristic and functional Vino Seal glass technology to make that topper fit perfectly. It's years in the making. And we, as the fans, we finally have that bottle that we saw all the way back in 1982. I love it. So join us and Star Trek Spirits as we explore this universe together, reimagining old classics and producing a line of spirits that will be sought out by spirits and Star Trek fans alike. Act now because they will, they did, and they will again sell out. Visit StarTrekSpirits.com today for the all-new Romulan Ale Vodka and Romulan Ale Rye. Take 10% off your order with the special code Roddenberry at StarTrekSpirits.com. And now I believe that John Champion returns with this week's trivia. All right, I wrote it out, I won't lie. All right, trivia for Sacred Ground. We have a story by Geo Cameron. That's the screen name for Geo Athena Travathan. And this is a one-time Star Trek script for Geo and only one of two pro-writing credits in the industry. Uh, It is a story driven by her spiritual beliefs as a self-described hereditary shaman priestess. We have a teleplay by Lisa Klink. No surprise here. Lisa has been heavily involved in the season, a part of most of the scripts, and here she gets the teleplay credit, just as she did with the previous episode, Remember. It was directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. Well, we all know him as Tom Paris, and we also know that Star Trek has been a sort of school for up-and-coming directors. That was no different for Robbie, who had let it be known early in Voyager's run that he wanted a shot in the big chair. So he did what all the others do, follow the production around whenever they're not on stage in character, learning all the ropes. And his opportunity came far earlier than he thought it would. Now, remember how we discussed that four full episodes for season three were shot during season two. This episode was the first of those to be produced, even before the third season opener, Basics Part Two. 
It was intended for Jonathan Frakes to helm Sacred Ground, but at the last minute, he got another gig directing, oh, what was that movie called? Ah, yes, Star Trek First Contact. So Robbie was told while he was traveling for a convention on a weekend that he had the job if he wanted it, and the episode would start shooting in two weeks. Very little prep time for a neophyte director, but he jumped at the opportunity. And the rest is history, as Robbie has not only directed three more episodes of Voyager, but he went out to carve a very healthy career as a director on a number of TV shows, including sci-fi titles like V, Resident Alien, The Orville, and Star Trek Enterprise. The directing chops needed for this particular installment were unique in that the story was so low on action and high on ideas, philosophical ideas. So both Robbie and Kate were pleased to tackle the script with this at the forefront. Let's meet our guest stars. A returning guest star this week, Harry Grainer, plays the magistrate, and you may remember him as the Betazoid Tam Elburn in the TNG episode Ten Man. Harry has an extensive performing background, which we highlighted back then, and he will be back for two episodes of Enterprise in a different role. The three waiters, uh, okay, they aren't waiters, but rather they are people who are waiting, you got it, uh, are played by Keen Curtis, Parley Bear, and Estelle Harris. Parley Bear doesn't appear on screen until the early 50s, but in the lead-up to that part of his career, he served in the Army Air Corps. He was a ringmaster and toured with multiple circuses, including one that he owned, and he worked in radio in the 1930s. His on-screen career lasted almost until his death in 2002 at the age of 88. He appeared in nearly 300 projects, ranging from features like License to Drive, to Dave, to TV shows like The Addams Family, Quantum Leap, Roswell, and going way back to The Danny Thomas Show, Rawhide, and many of the Playhouse-type shows of the 1950s. Keen Curtis worked with Parley before in an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Earlier in his career, he worked extensively on stage, picking up a Tony at one point and appearing for a number of years as Daddy Warbucks in Annie. On TV, he appeared in Stargate SG-1, and he voiced Grand Moff Tarkin in the Star Wars radio drama. He was in the Warren Beatty vehicle, Heaven Can Wait, and early in his TV career, he stops by shows as different as MASH, Sanford and Son, and Logan's Run. We also lost Keen in 2002. Estelle Harris is almost instantly recognizable by her voice. She lends it to Mrs. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies, and she is most memorable on screen for playing George's mother on Seinfeld. Of course, that means that she turned up on Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. She also got her start in theater and worked in regional productions and dinner theater before getting cast in commercials. That led to a long later career in TV, film, and voice work, and we lost Estelle in 2022. Finally, Janeway's Guide is played by Becky Ann Baker, another recognizable character actor who has easily transitioned between live theater and on-screen roles. You've probably seen Becky in shows like HBO's Girls. She was a regular on Freaks and Geeks, and she turns up recently in New Amsterdam, Billions, and The Good Fight. You would catch her alongside another Trek guest star, that would be James Cromwell, in Spider-Man 3, and this is Becky's only Star Trek appearance. 
Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Are you looking to gain some enlightenment? Here, wear a burlap sack, made of the finest space burlap. Prologue. Voyager's crew enjoy a bit of shore leave, courtesy of the Nakani on their homeworld. And as you do when you're visiting a foreign land, you take in the cultural, historical, and religious sites. And this one leads us to an underground temple of sorts dedicated to the ancient spirits. Wandering on their own, Kess and Neelix approach a shrine with a bright, glowing entryway. But as Kess approaches, a burst of energy escapes the shrine, knocking her unconscious. Act 1. Cass and Neelix are beamed to sickbay, leaving Balana and Harry to try to find out what happened. They want to scan the shrine, but the magistrate, who has been their guide, insists that their very presence in this place is unacceptable, as is a scientific investigation which would disturb the monks and desecrate their shrine. They need to leave, like, now. On Voyager, the EMH watches over Kess, who is weak but stable. She's in a coma, but as was explained by the Nakani, she will die. That leaves Captain Janeway to attempt some sort of negotiation with the magistrate, but he holds firm that the monks have expressed their concerns about Kess, but they do not and will not welcome outsiders to poke around their sacred places. The magistrate further explains that as a government official, his hands are tied since they do not interfere in spiritual matters. He does seem sympathetic to Janeway's concerns, though, and he tells her that the shrine is one of their most holy places where the monks go for a kind of spiritual purification. They are safe from its effects, but only because they have all endured a ritual, one that Janeway now takes great interest in. She wants to know all about it but the magistrate only knows so much. While the magistrate and the monks all feel that the matter is over, Janeway isn't so easily thwarted. She returns to sickbay to learn that Kess's condition is getting worse. She may never wake up, or she may do so with severe brain damage. Neelix has spent his time researching Nakani texts and found an ancient story about a young prince who experienced what Kess did, but his father, the king, endured a ritual to seek audience with the spirits and ask mercy for his son's life, and it worked. Janeway relays the story to the magistrate. He's impressed with the details of the ancient story, but doesn't think it's applicable here. He doesn't know Janeway too well, though, because she volunteers to go through the same ritual herself. Act 2. Janeway discusses her decision with Chakotay, and while she is approaching this as a way to investigate the scientific answers of the problem and save Kess, Chakotay says there might actually be a spiritual aspect at play that she hasn't considered. The magistrate contacts Janeway with the news that the spiritual order, the Nakisti Council, have approved her request. All she needs to do now is beam down, and she will be met by a guide. As a precaution, the EMH has implanted Janeway with a sensor that will report back biomedical data, and it acts as a homing beacon, just in case. Once she's in the sacred caves below the surface, Janeway is largely ignored by the silent monks. A woman who is futzing around with a light fixture calls Janeway over and takes an interest in the captain's tricorder. She even pockets it, noting that she won't need it. She's the guide. And now it's time to get started, which, first, means losing the Starfleet uniform and wearing something more aligned with the Nikisti. 
Janeway reasserts her commitment to find the spirits, and the guide teases a little about the reliance on mechanical devices. But soon enough, Janeway is escorted into a room where she meets three people in waiting. Just waiting? Forever, maybe? Act 3. The three people in waiting speak somewhat obtusely about why they're there, how long it's been, and what Janeway should do next. So impatiently, Janeway pounds on a door, and there on the other side is the guide. They now enter another room where exactly what to do is still unclear. Janeway again restates her desire to do whatever it takes, but the guide points out that just going through the motions is meaningless. It's all about finding a connection to the spirits. First step, the guide places a heavy stone in Janeway's hands, and that's it. She stands there holding the stone and told to keep looking. The longer she holds it, muscle strain sets in, detected by the EMH through the implant, but that's not a help when it comes to Kess. Time passes and Janeway gets weaker, still not seeing anything in the stone. Next step, painting. Janeway isn't sure how to express herself artistically, but here she is. Then the next step, Janeway finds herself scaling a craggy mountain, straining and slipping, but she's still there just holding that stone when the guide asks what she sees now. Janeway still isn't sure. Then it's time for a rest and a refreshing drink, but the guide brings out a new challenge, a basket containing an unseen hissing animal, a nasset, which she says moves from the physical to the spiritual world. All Janeway has to do, if she's ready, is stick her hand in the basket, which she does, and of course she gets bitten and it hurts like hell. Janeway passes out and hallucinates what she's been through already, then finds herself in a dugout part of the floor laying on her back and asks if she's dying. The guide says, we all die eventually. Act 4. On Voyager, Chakotay, Tuvok, and the EMH monitor Janeway's vitals. She hasn't slept in days, and now she's experiencing the effects of the bite from the Nasset. Chakotay wants to pull her out, but the EMH points out that the toxin from the bite is breaking down and creating a new amino acid in her bloodstream. That could lead them to a cure for Kess. Back on the planet, Janeway is indeed experiencing visions, and she finds herself in a place addressing the spirits over an ocean, asking them to save Kess's life the way that they did the ancient king. The voice of the guide says the request is inconsequential. She already has what she needs to save Kess. That brings Janeway out of hallucination, and she awakens in the pit where she's been for three days. And now... She thinks she's ready to save Kess. Aboard Voyager, she's examined by the doctor, who notes that she's all right, other than drained a bit from the ritual. He's confident that the toxin did create a kind of immunity and that he can replicate that in Kess. He gets to work and, uh uh-oh, not as smooth sailing as he had hoped. Kess isn't responding favorably to the treatment, forcing the EMH to stop. There are no other options. It just didn't work. Janeway returns to see the guide, and the answers are more obtuse now. The ritual she went through matched her own expectations. So now is she ready? Janeway proceeds back into the room where the three were waiting before. One says, look who's come back. Act 5. 
The three taunt Janeway a little more that her previous exercise was for naught. She asks them again, what are they doing? What is the purpose of this room? Are they the spirits? Janeway pushes more and more for any help, any answer, until they corner her that the scientific approach didn't work. Then one says, kill her regarding Kess, that Janeway should take her back to the biogenic field at the altar. She has to believe it, though. If there's any doubt, then they're both dead. Janeway contacts Chakotay that she knows what to do and wants Kess beamed down. When they arrive, Janeway is determined to take Kess with her back through the energy field, even over Chakotay's protest. The guide appears, saying that she can't give her word about their safety, but that Janeway herself knows the answer. Chakotay makes one last statement that he doesn't understand, and Janeway admits that this is the challenge. She lifts up Kess, approaches the altar, and they are both blasted with energy, and Kess's eyes open, and a smile appears on her face. Alive and well on Voyager, Kess and Janeway are in sickbay, where the EMH explains that the field showed traces of iridium ions. Those ions acted with Janeway's altered biochemistry to neutralize the effect of the energy field and protected Kess, too, since she had the same amino acids given to her earlier. The more the science talk continues, Janeway gets a far-off look in her eyes. Then she leaves the room, stopping for a second first to collect her feelings about what she's been through. The end. Nicely done, John. I believe that you were able to succinctly wrap things up, or maybe that's just me believing and taking that leap of faith that you would, considering that you gave me such a hard time about it earlier on in the episode. You're just believing what you want to believe. Um, mm. <laughs> that, that's fine. <laughs> I, I tell you, one thing that I do believe is that anytime you start an episode and you've got Neelix on an away mission, like in a location somewhere, some sort of problem will occur. Yep. That's just yeah. a given. That, that's, yeah. that's how this works. Yep. The carved wall that everyone walked by at the very beginning in the monastery – for a brief mm-hmm. second, I thought that was the same wall they used in the original series episode, Turnabout Intruder. I, I looked did a not lot even make like that it. connection, but yeah. now that I think about it, you are not wrong. That's a cool little design inspiration there. Yeah. I wonder if that was on purpose. Yeah. I always think about Raiders of the Lost Ark. Pretty much, uh, you know, every, once at least a day. On a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when Cass was walking down the hallway, that stone-carved hallway, and... She walks near a pillar of light. I was waiting for Neelix to grab her and say, wait, stay out of the light. And then something <laughs> happens. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. for the home yeah, game, you should know. there's your Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. Also, number mm-hmm. one rule of exploration, John, don't yeah. touch the large glowing anything. Ever, ever. Don't do it. By the way, there's a shot, and I forgot to time code it, but toward the top of Act 1, you can go back and look at it. Uh, The monks are silent, of course, but I love – there's a shot of the magistrate uh, explaining what just happened and, like, they're not going to help and Kess is going to die. And if you look at that shot, there are two monks behind the magistrate, and the one on the left, he's, like, calm and unemotional. (laughs) 
But but the one on the right, he has got this look on his face mm-hmm. like you did not just approach our shrine, did you? Uh uh-uh. uh. You can see that in his eyes and on his face. Go back. I I love it. <laughs> that yeah. is some terrific. Uh, it, it's like Tuvok. Whenever he has an emotional reaction to something that is not emotional, but you can see it in his face. It was almost like it was the monk's version of the Tuvok finger. In that case, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. It also would have helped if the magistrate said to the entire away team, uh, don't go anywhere near that area without any other monks with you. That also, I don't know. Like, maybe that's the kind of like somebody told me that if I was a tourist, I I would pay attention. Yeah. Like, don't go over there where the dinosaurs are. That's a bad idea. Um, Like, okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) The magistrate later on with Janeway, you know, he was saying uh, his government expresses their sympathies for Janeway's loss, meaning Kess. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not dead. Cass isn't dead. <laughs> she's in sick bay. And I'm waiting for Cass to do the whole Monty Python thing. Like, I'm getting better. Like, what? Like, why are you <laughs> saying this? Like, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. That's, that's like a foregone yes. conclusion. That's pretty presumptuous, don't you think? Yeah, that is pretty great. Cut back to Bellana and Harry down on the surface. And I love Harry like, we'll hold you responsible. We'll make a full report to the captain. Yeah, big words, you know, but you guys are visitors and you have no jurisdiction. Your mission is to go home. So, yeah, (laughs) cool. And I do love that little exchange with the magistrate and Janeway. And, and he's like, well, Navad was a king. It's like, yeah, but Janeway's Janeway. That we're all thinking that because we know. Yeah. Now, I, I know that you mentioned that Neelix at the beginning was kind of used as a, oh, gosh, what Neelix is going to do now. Like, are his lungs going to get yeah. stolen this time again? You know, that kind uh, of right. thing. Right. But when he's talking about or pleading if there's any way to save Cass and then, you know, they bring up the whole boy print story that he researched he switches into a different gear he switches into this really like i'm johnny the actor gear like i'm gonna do something you haven't seen gear and it it just proves that neelix does have you know different layers that he can play or i say johnny has different layers that neelix can play yeah and this one really surprised me it really did yep yep it was a really nice moment all right let's come to this scene with uh chakotay and Janeway in Chakotay's office, and they're they're having this conversation. We we will definitely get into in the next segment. But I love this when Chakotay says something about how his mother explained the science underlying the vision quest, and I just thought drugs <laughs> is that is that the science? <laughs> because you know now they're able to do it with that thing that he puts his thumb on in the medicine bundle, which you can replicate a bunch of times because he had to, but. That's another episode. Yeah. But yeah, the, the techno peyote. That's what we called it before. We call it techno peyote. Yes. Techno peyote. Right. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. One of our more famous album covers. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> time stamping 10 minutes, 50 seconds. Uh, in that same discussion where, where Chakotay and Jane were talking about, you know, what this is going, what's going on with the, you know, the, the thing with Cass and, you know, what's going on with the magistrate. The wall behind Chakotay is this Elkar's wall of Elkar's everything. There is so much going on. Like, how do you even learn how to use a panel like that? Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, you can't. You can't. So many, so many um, operations. Uh, this episode doesn't have a lot of Tuvok in it, but I'm always glad when we get Tuvok. And of course, of course, he's the guy who the captain says, I'm going on a spiritual journey. Here, here's a weapon with life-ending ability. <laughs> he shows up with the phaser, and she has to turn it down. Okay, I have to be completely honest with the audience here. So John and I, we mm-hmm. write our notes separately, and almost note for note, maybe these were like the standout moments of the episode, he wrote yeah. the exact same reactions to the note yeah. that I wrote <laughs> because I did bring up Tuvok also. And he said that it's standard procedure to carry arms on an away mission, particularly when you don't know what to expect, except mm-hmm. I went back to the beginning oh. and neither Harry nor Bellana, who were throwing around their authority were carrying either tricorders or phasers. Oh, interesting. Interesting. But maybe they'd still adhere to standard procedure. I don't know. Maybe. Speaking of tricorders, the guy just straight up stole a tricorder. And that, look, I would want it as a souvenir too. So I kind of get her. All right. So here's kind of like a trope in, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't just say science fiction, in any fiction. So always pay attention to the strange, impish person or personality in the background near any blinking lights, because that's kind of how Yoda appeared, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, you know what? I didn't even make the Yoda connection here. A lot of speaking in riddles. Okay. Grabbing equipment, throwing it around. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have more Yoda. Just you wait. Just you wait. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I do have a question. I want to know how many religious ceremonies require me to take off all my clothes in front of strangers because I'm probably not game. Just want to let you know. Another note that I brought up, the same the same note that you brought up, <laughs> I said, um, yeah. there is this wonderful kind of, uh, I guess it's like symbolic, you know, expression of uh, having the, remove mm-hmm. the, her uniform and undo her hair. It's the symbolism of it all. But yeah, yeah cool. it's, that's, it wasn't what I expected, you know, and then everyone had that one same kind of painted tattoo. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. If Chakotay yeah. went down, would they put a tattoo on his tattoo? Oh, good question. You know what I'm thinking of every time we talk about Chakotay and this? It's that meme that's the, you know, my people <laughs> intensifies. Oh, that is just one of my favorite things right now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> if only this had been a Chakotay episode. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you saw it the same way I saw it, John, especially in the way that the, the three spirits reacted at the very first time Janeway saw them. Mm-hmm. But were those ethos, pathos, and logos? Ooh. Oh, their method of argumentation. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Could be. Could be. Just food for thought. There's a great edit uh, in this episode. It's probably one of my favorite edits to date. So Janeway's asked to focus on a rock. That was like the one note that you had, and then you came up with all these other notes. But it was the one note you had in the beginning, right? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're supposed to focus on this rock, and then it like closes in on Janeway looking at the rock, and then it cuts right to Chakotay looking in the exact same direction, camera left, as if he were looking at the rock, but then pulls back uh, at him looking at an Elkar screen. So this is great timing on Janeway being the spiritualist and Chakotay being the technobabalist. Yes. Nice. <laughs> nice shot. I do have to say in that uh, part of that kind of vision quest that she's having while holding the stone, Captain Janeway is climbing a mountain. Why is she climbing a mountain? Oh, no. I tried so there's hard your, to purge that from my mind. There's your earworm. Sorry, it's going to be with you for the next uh, 8 to 12 months easily. Easily. That scene where they bring out the basket with the Nasset in it. Go ahead. Put your hand in. Didn't Janeway see Flash Gordon? 
Because what is it about the ritual with the young treemen of Arbor that you didn't get? You don't do that mm-hmm. unless you're Flash and you can fight your way out. That That's it. Uh, and by the way, that in a set, not two, but three bite marks. Pretty intense. Yeah. When I saw this, there's only one person that I thought of when I saw that scene. Yeah. I was like, I, I can't wait for John to remark on this scene. <laughs> <laughs> because you knew it. You no one, it. no one, no one puts their arm more fearlessly in a bucket than Flash Gordon does. Maybe except for your, no. maybe it's like a Polytrades thing too. You know, it's like it, you know, there's a whole fear is the mind killer thing that's going on. Yeah, with this. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the trope is there, but I can't help but like compare that to Flash Gordon. That was the best. That was yeah, the best. So good, right? So good. Yeah. Uh, there's, it's an interesting point where where Tuvok speaks on on Janeway's behalf when he says, "I do believe the captain would want to continue her vision quest," and convinces Chakotay of that. And it's, I think it's a nice way of saying Janeway and I have have elevated kind of like this unspoken relationship since flashback after that mind melt. Like he knows now, mm. like he's in tune now with like what she believes more than probably any other time in their friendship, which is mm-hmm. a long time. There's this look where, where the doctor tells everything that he had to go, uh, that, uh, that Janeway went to to save Kess. And then, you know, they said that it was meaningless. There's this look that Janeway yeah. shoots him that is yeah. unreal. Like, yeah. I, did, I, did, I did what? And it meant <laughs> what? <laughs> now, as we come back kind of toward the end of the episode, I, I feel like we're getting into the section here where there are all these kind of great lines and great ideas that we'll definitely dive deeper into in the next segment where we do mm-hmm. our deep dive. But I, just some of these we, we have to point out, like most of the challenges in life are the ones we create for ourselves. That's one of the things that one of the spirits in the, the waiting room. I love just – the whole idea of a waiting room there. <laughs> That's one of the, the lines that is food for thought. Definitely appreciated that one. Yeah, this segment and that line in particular, especially the line before that, it's probably my favorite line in the episode. Mm. That that particular guide said, real is such a relative term. I mean, this is going yes. into like matrix yes. territory now, right? Yeah, great yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, if you can explain everything, what's left to believe in? He's not wrong. <laughs> not, not, not totally wrong, but I, I think I can still make an argument against that. We'll, we'll see how argumentative I get as we, <laughs> as we close up the show today. And interesting how Janeway gets taken to task. So much for your open-minded Starfleet ideals. And then she, I love the comeback, there's a difference between respecting the spiritual beliefs of other cultures and embracing them myself. She had to stand her ground there, and I can appreciate that. And then, then we get into some even more interesting dicey territory. Even when her science fails right before her eyes, she still has full confidence in it. Oh, man, that <laughs> line. Oh, that that just uh, that makes my spine tingle. It makes me almost get into argumentative mode. We'll see how long it can, uh, I can keep it in. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But by the way, uh, just as a, a technical, as like a blocking note here. So when Janeway goes, well, well, when she leaves that and then she says, hey, beam down Kess. Okay, now Janeway, Kess, Neelix, Chakotay, they're in the sanctuary by themselves. And Chakotay's got a tricorder now. And that's, that's just cool. 
that like mm-hmm. now it's fine. Now it's okay. Now they can just be there in there on their own with a tricorder. We're all good. Okay. All right. Just <laughs> just wanted to make sure I understood. I got to say though, with all of these great lines and and with all of these obviously mm-hmm. um, incredibly um, specific talking points, I think we're going to get to. My favorite scene in this episode is when Chakotay says, Captain, I don't understand this. And Janeway says, Mm. neither do I. That's the challenge. I felt that that was one of the most Star Trek moments I've seen so far in Voyager. It's that we're going where no one has gone before leap of faith kind of moment. You know, and I really like that. Um, And I also like how this ends with, again, it it kind of springboards off of this idea. At the end, Janeway is just listening to all this doctor techno babble explanation of how Kess was saved, et cetera, et cetera. And she's just like there. Like she's just like listening to it, but not really quite connecting with it. Where science Janeway prior to this episode or prior to the events of this episode would have been like, yes, you know, she would have been right there with him. But she's just like, I don't know about this now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I have a similar note there because for as many times that we say that Kate is so great in this role, there are so many moments where they just allow her to be in the moment. You don't need an explanation. You don't need dialogue. You just need a look. You just need her to sit with the emotion and you get everything you need to get out of that moment. Walk into someone's shine and get zapped. I can't help but think somebody should put up some cones around that. We will get right back to Sacred Ground after a word from one of this week's sponsors, ExpressVPN. Now, John, let me ask you something. Go ahead. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? I'm, I'm I mean, terrified already at the very idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be kind of creepy. I think that would yeah. be, I mean, obviously it would be intrusive, but you wouldn't even know mm-hmm. about it. Well, yeah. what if I told you that's exactly what happens every single time you go online? Your internet provider is allowed to store logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Did you know this? Yeah, yeah, like like sort of in the abstract, yes, but now it really hits home. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe not everyone knows this, and that's why I always accuse ExpressVPN when I go online. That's right, because ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Now, many of you might be wondering, okay, well, if I'm routing all my data through a VPN, then doesn't that just mean that the VPN can see what I'm doing and log my data instead? And you're right. Well, you're right to think that because many VPNs claim to have a no logs policy, but they have been caught logging customer activity. ExpressVPN is the only VPN that I trust because they use trusted server technology. Now, they were the first major VPN provider to engineer 
all of their VPN servers to run in RAM. That makes it impossible for their VPN servers to store any data, including logs of any ExpressVPN customer. Isn't that great to know? It's like, here, here's the technobabble explanation for why this works. <laughs> so I, I really dig that. And look, you don't have to just take our word for it uh, or take ExpressVPN's word for it. Because uh, look, ExpressVPN is so confident in their no logs claim that they even had one of the biggest assurance firms, PricewaterhouseCoopers, audit their technology. And that is why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, TechRadar, and countless others. So do what we do and stop letting people keep logs of what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log right now and find out how you can get three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash mission log expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. So as we get into the discussion, Norman, there there are a few things that I found almost like charming in this episode because you have to get through some pretty simple explanations early on in order for the rest of the story to make sense the way that it unfolds. And I'm surprised you said charming. <laughs> well, 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 it is. Yeah. It is. But, but there, there were just okay. some simple moments that you go like, well, well, of course it's like this because that's the way that it happens. You know, so like early on, the magistrate explains, uh, he says, we have an agreement with the council. They don't involve themselves with government and we don't interfere with their spiritual matters. It's been that way for centuries and it's always worked well for us. So here is the global policy of separation of church and state for this culture. And it is just very straightforward. It's very matter of fact. It works for them. And keep in mind that we have to assume that this is a planet-wide policy for them. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, we got that right out of the way. It serves a dramatic purpose for sure. But it also seems like, from what we can tell, their political and their spiritual sides coexist pretty happily there, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's nice to hear that. It's interesting that, you know, from an audience's standpoint, that we have to have kind of like this primer on other cultures, uh, their policy of kind of like government and religion, or like you're saying, the, the separation of church and state, because— mm -hmm. I always had this question in science fiction, not just Star Trek, but kind of like in science fiction in general, where we take a look, we as the audience take this outside look at in the internal policies of an alien species, and in this case, religion, and we define it through our understanding of religion, but we don't really understand or maybe take that bigger leap of how the alien culture defines their religion and, mm -hmm. and how we, the Star Trek audience, they, we try and... Um, rectify that in this whole mantra of seeking out new life and new civilizations. Does that actually really include looking at a religion from a different culture and respecting the decisions made through the religious beliefs of that culture? Well, I, I think looking at it, examining it, studying it, I think those are all on the table. Respect. Respect is a word that does a lot of heavy lifting there. Because mm -hmm. respect might be simply on the terms of, oh, okay, we see what you're doing. That's fine. It may not be for us. We're going to move along. 
Um, you, you, you keep doing what you're doing. That's fine. How far to, is that respect extended when you run into a situation like we have here, which, by the way, is just so perfectly contrived for a Star Trek episode. <laughs> I mean, it really yeah. is. You know, you, you present yeah. this almost impossible situation with this just wonderfully difficult, complex solution to get through. So, yeah, yeah, that that respect, putting that in finger quotes here, that respect, it it, it is extended until you get to the point where, well, let's face it, a beloved crew member is dying. I mean, I we have a lot to talk about, so I'm yeah. not going to belabor this too much. But I understand that Janeway has to do what she has to do to save Kess. That's her responsibility, and that's in her jurisdiction for her crew. But I also respect that they're on an alien planet, and the Nachani mm-hmm. have their rules based on their faith, and those rules must be wait for it, folks, respected as well. <laughs> so, like, who's in the right here? Or are they both in the right? And is this where the acceptance of respecting new life and new civilizations has to, you know, has to, well, you have to read the room correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like you said, a lot of this could have been avoided if they just had a tricorder in that room earlier. Or if the magistrate had said, don't go in there, <laughs> you're not allowed in there right. without an escort. Neelix. That means you <laughs> got my eye on you. Yeah. Cass, honey, what is that bright light down there? That's Is that anything? That's nothing. Right. Right. No. right. So I, I have to say, you know, this is an episode that every single time that I watched it, I kept kind of going back and forth trying to figure out what is the message here? Are, what are the debatable points that I really want to get into that have inspired or fired me up? And where ultimately do I land on what it is that they're trying to say? And I know that we're nowhere near the wrap up just yet. But even as we hash this out, I find myself sort of taking away one idea, one thought from it going, oh, okay, well, that's nice. That that's that makes sense. And then I find myself grappling with another idea and say, hold the phone. I disagree with this entirely. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So what exactly should I take away uh, if there is a singular final message to be mined from this? And there may not be. There, there might be multiple, and some of those might be in conflict. Um, but there is one in particular, and I brought it up in the last segment that I want to dig a little deeper into here. And that is the sort of the accusation of science as being the non-answer. And that is when the three, the three guides, the three spirits the three waiters I, I still find it funny to call them the three waiters are in I that like that that was, yeah. that was well done <laughs> thank you that uh, they're in the room and well no i wait i, I take that this is early on this is the magistrate saying to uh janeway something that'll come back later captain you want an explanation for everything yeah <laughs> yeah yeah she does and yeah i think that is a perfectly okay attitude to have most of the time there might be some footnotes to that then come a little bit later with the guide uh talking about janeway as a young woman uh, as a little girl being uh, uh the mathematician the, the sister was the artist solve a problem the answer is either right or wrong it's very absolute and Janeway says, I've always found that satisfying, <laughs> which, which I love. What's interesting here is that you see this arc for Janeway in the episode. And 
she forces herself through the rituals, but at first, you know, until we get to Act Five where she's got to do it all over again, she has no true emotional connection to it. She's going through the motions, and the guide sees that and knows it. Janeway understands the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law, if I may use that word, until she hears that she has what she needs already to treat Cass inside her all along. She's sort of treating it like an obstacle course until she is humbled to the point that she doesn't know what she's looking for, which is a very interesting premise, a very interesting place to put our heroic and very competent captain in. Okay, but then, then we come back on the second attempt. And then we have the three people in the waiting room and they start to get more pointed and they start to taunt her with the answer, which is lethal. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all, I can't think of any situation where an officer would allow their captain to do what Janeway does here. So I I feel like we're paying a little lip service to it with Chakotay saying like, no, you you can't do that. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Well, you're you're the captain, and I guess I don't understand what you're doing, but go ahead, because now you are risking two lives instead of one. So a little bit, uh, little bit surprised by that. But well, I, no, it's just that you know, in Star Trek, it's not it's not foreign for a captain to ask his or her crew to follow orders that they may or not feel make sense. This is just one of those occasions. It's just that it's Chakotay, the spiritualist, is the one that is playing devil's advocate and not, say, someone like a Tuvok on the ground. Mm. Yeah, yeah, could very well be. Yeah, uh, but it, it, here we go. So uh, it, it's uh, always looking for a rational explanation. Well, there isn't one. Okay, the, the, this is the three people waiting in the room. At the end, the last time Janeway goes back to kind of seek their counsel and figure out what it is that they want. And I'm going to go back to that line again that uh, that irked me before. Uh, they accuse her of, you know, so much for your open-minded Starfleet ideals. There's a difference between respecting the spiritual beliefs and embracing them. That's what Janeway says. Even when her science fails right before her eyes, she still has full confidence in it. And I wanted to say no. No, 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 no. You you are misstating what the science is. You are misstating what the method is for gaining knowledge. So there is a failure in applying what limited knowledge came the first time because Janeway had an incomplete picture of what was going on. Now, it's interesting mm-hmm. that to get a complete picture, she's got to do more, that she was just going through the motions, that she just thought like, oh, okay, cross that hurdle, you know, complete that level on the video game, and then I've won. And that's not exactly mm-hmm. what this game was. But those three guides, those three spirits, those three people in the waiting room are saying, See, science failed, therefore our method is correct. But our method is simply, it is another step to get to the complete answer. And the complete answer that we arrive at at the end of the show is one that has a scientific explanation. Now, I don't want to say that to take away from the gravitas of what Janeway went through, because I will come back to that at the very end of of our discussion today. But I think it's a little unfair 
for those three to sit there and point the finger and, and sort of be a little bit smug about it and see, yeah, see, science failed, but you still believe in it. Well, that experiment failed because it was an experiment done with incomplete information. Now, there is a life in the balance here. It is very important that they get it right. But I take exception with the way they framed it for her. I don't think it was as much a they, though, as it was a him. The last mm. curmudgeonly spirit was the one who really kind of pushed her buttons. That's why I brought up in observations the ethos, pathos, and logos uh, mm. designations mm-hmm. for those three. Now, Mrs. Costanza, she was uh, <laughs> yeah. ethos, right? Yeah, she was the one yes. that was yeah. a little more you know, she, she was yeah. trying to it, understand the feelings uh, that yeah. Jane was going through. It, it's not that they weren't critical of her process. It's just that I think that um, Estelle uh, was understanding it from a more emotional standpoint and then the middle guy the guy that uh he was he was the the so maybe she's so maybe she's pathos and and pathos uh, yeah yeah and the other guy is ethos yeah 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 right yeah he was understanding from the standpoint of he understands why janeway has to do it and he understands the risks that she's taking because there's a risk reward uh you know, a uh, process that's going on in Janeway's mind. If I do this, therefore this happens. The last guy is the guy that you're talking about. And he was yeah. really pushing her buttons. And maybe it's because <laughs> he's the guy like McCoy that mm-hmm. will be like, Hey, you know what? I don't believe anything that you're doing unless you prove it to me, prove it to me, prove it to me, you know, yeah. because yeah. what you're doing is a bunch of nonsense until you do it. So go ahead, show me wrong, prove me wrong. Uh, right. So he was yeah. egging her on that way. And yeah, I was, I was getting a little hackily too, But I think that that was the process of those three. Janeway was looking at her decision-making process through a prism of these three opinions. You know, one that understood her, one that was balanced, and that one that was a little bit more prickly. And like, which one of those is the right combination of accepting moving forward with her analysis? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll take that. I mean, those three are... Uh, to great dramatic effect, a bit mysterious. We don't know exactly who they are. We don't know exactly how they operate. I, uh, for a time, I was thinking, okay, these are three personalities. Maybe there are three personalities of a being or multiple beings or or whatever. We don't really know. But I, I like what that. If, I, what if they're from Janeway's mind? What, what if she walked see? into that yeah. room and yeah. she projected herself in that way in that room? Yeah. And I think that is a very cool yeah. idea as well that, that could definitely be the case. I, I like that bit of ambiguity about, uh, about who they are. Let's go, to, um, let's go to Chakotay's conversation with Janeway because I think we both took notes on that. There's always the possibility yeah. that the ancestral spirits really do control what happens in the shrine. And Janeway says to each his own commander, but I imagine if we scratch deep enough, we'd find a scientific basis for most religious doctrines. And he, that, that's what he has that line. <laughs> I remember when my mother taught me about the science underlying the vision quest. In a way, I felt disappointed. Some of the mystery was gone. Maybe the the Nakani, I'm sorry, Nachani or Nakani, my bad. I, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. a native speaker, uh, have chosen not to lose the mystery. This is a great exchange that absolutely mm-hmm. gets to the heart of the matter and very effectively sets up the differences in Janeway and Chakotay's approaches. I can and I do really respect this. I mean, look, I'm fully team Janeway. <laughs> mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that that that's just me. What's interesting to me is 
taking the both of them looking at the same experience, the same proposition, the same emotions, maybe the same emotional response, and applying different names or different values and meanings to them. Now, that said, yeah, I again, I do agree with Janeway that given the time, given the resources and building upon previous knowledge, we can find answers to questions. We can unlock the secrets of the universe, and we can get a lot closer and closer to cutting out the God of the gaps that is invoked to sort of patch every hole of a lack of knowledge. So uh, it's nice to see that conversation play out the way it is between two friends, two colleagues, two co-workers, maybe two former lovers, (laughs) uh, given resolutions, uh, and it not get it it not go into an argumentative rabbit hole we just as an audience get to take it in as two sides of the you know the two halves of the brain the right brain left left brain approaching a situation the one thing though then i want to i want to bring a little bit more focus on mm-hmm. janeway's attitude in this conversation okay and what i love about this 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 uh this episode is that it shows a change of attitude from this conversation to her sitting at the end in silence and kind of contemplating the the arc of what she's gone through mm-hmm. because when she said things like to each his own commander but if i imagine we scratch deep enough we'll find a scientific basis for most religious doctrines Then she says something along the lines of uh, she's talking about reviewing the Federation's cultural database. And she says, you know, my instinct tells me this one will be a similar test of mastery over spirit over body, a series of ordeals, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's the way she says it is Mm -hmm. very dismissive of culture and religion in general. Okay, because (laughs) she's a scientist. Yeah. And I'm just saying this as a counterpoint. She's a scientist, and she says science will explain the situation. I understand the culture. I understand the emotion. I understand the ritual. I understand the belief. That's all par for the course. Of course they're going to have that. Of course they're going to have doctrine and books and philosophy and all that stuff. That's just window dressing to the scientific explanation that lies underneath, which, which is what I'm going to suss out. That's my whole issue with Janeway at the beginning. And I love that there is a reconciliation of that because the doctor is saying the exact same thing and behaving the exact same way with saying that Kess only survived because of XYZ technobabble. And Janeway's like, yeah, I don't know about that anymore. Well, I look, I, I do like that she has this internal, emotional, personal experience. I I really do appreciate all that. But at the end of the day, there is a scientific explanation for what happened here. I mean, look, the whole thing could have been avoided if the three people in the waiting room had just said, she needs to be re-exposed to the biogenic field. It's dangerous, but that's how this works. And you're already inoculated because you got bitten by the Flash Gordon monster you know i like like but instead it's way more dramatic to say kill her i don't know that you necessarily have to strip away the the value and the power of those beliefs from those people and also understand that there is a real world physical explanation for what's going on i mean I think that we generally, and I'm going to paint with a very broad brush here, we tend to keep these things in separate categories and say, okay, 
if you have a scientific explanation for something, then the mystery has been taken out and it no longer can fill you with the awe and wonder of the universe. But if you don't have that and you have a purely unexplainable emotional, personal, quote-unquote, spiritual experience of something, therefore we can elevate it to this higher thing and say this is of more value, this has this spiritual uh, uh, you know, sort of lauded component that we elevate to being more important. And I don't think you have to do that. I think you can still come away with this. And uh, I believe in the episode they say, okay, this biogenic field there is naturally occurring. And the immunity that they get from being bit by that thing is a naturally occurring thing. Some of these monks, who knows how many died before then, but some monks at some point centuries ago put two and two together, figured it out, and got to have this very interesting trip along the way. I don't think that ha- understanding the mechanics of it, I don't think has to take away the awe and the wonder of it. It's sort of like every time we get a new picture from the James Webb Space Telescope or every time we make some new discovery with the Large Hadron Collider, or whatever the case may be, whatever fantastic, larger-than-life scientific discovery comes along. To me, that reinforces the awe and wonder of the universe. That reinforces that emotional, personal feeling of awe. And I don't have to chalk it up to a spiritual thing that can't be explained. I think there's beauty in the explanation. If only Mr. Costanza had been there too, Janeway could have found serenity now, or maybe not. So here we are, John. We believed, and we believed that we would get to the end of this episode and... Just like all of our other mission logs in the past, there is no ground that's truly sacred as we look into how deep we're going to go, <laughs> our deep dives into seeing if this episode holds up, if it stands the test of time, and then finally moving on to our morals, meanings, and messages, if we have found any. And I think we may have just spoiling it, maybe not because of some of the stuff that we already talked about, <laughs> but uh, let's start with you, John. Uh, let's see if there's any ground that still holds sacred for you in this episode or not. Or somewhere in the middle. Who knows? Uh, I, I have to say, I really respect how off format this story is. Because I, I think it tells a very Star Trek story, but it also does it in a way that doesn't just automatically feel like another space adventure necessarily. We get to spend all this intimate time with Janeway and her journey. That's just so cool because an episode like this comes along and even if I can disagree with some of the premise or some of the points being made, that is the whole point here, which is to challenge ideas. And I can't help but love an episode that does that. You know, it's also really cool here. Uh, by the way, I, I mentioned at the top of the last segment how, how you just get a very complex idea out of the way pretty quickly so you can move along with the story. That was the aliens. Saying, yeah, we have ch- separation to church and state. That's the way it works. And we move on. There's another one here, which is great, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is seeing the aliens so interested and willing not only to help Janeway, but also so interested in exploring the possibilities of their own practices 
Like, I, I, I thought that was neat. When the magistrate comes on and he says, like, yeah, they, they love the idea of you going on a spiritual journey with us. That's so cool uh, that the, they are that open. Because very often there's this, you know, you have to have the antagonistic alien in order to have the drama, the conflict of the week. Uh, right. The conflict here is based on ideas, not just on people putting up barriers. Right. Normally, it's the uh, ambassador that says to Janeway, no, you can't do this. You're a violation of this. Yeah. We're going to arrest your people, etc. ad nauseum. Yeah. Yeah. Here, they, here they're trying to help, and they are trying to be respectful of their own uh, history and culture and beliefs. And Janeway is trying to be respectful of that by walking a mile in their shoes. And it's kind of great mm-hmm. to see. So because of all of these things, uh, uh, just – Feeling, first of all, rare in television and sometimes rare in Star Trek because sometimes you default to that old thing about just, well, we got to fight the alien. This was a thoughtful, heady, intellectual, philosophical look at ideas. Mm-hmm. This may not necessarily sell on primetime TV all the time, but it's so refreshing when an episode like that comes along that lets you sit with a complex idea for a long time, multiple complex ideas. Now, it it is a solid episode with good production value, some very strong performances, good on Robbie McNeil for just stepping into the director's role like it was familiar territory and creating this solid episode. Maybe, maybe the only thing holding it back is you can kind of tell where there are some choppy fills cutting back and forth between the caves and sickbay. Like, it, there are moments, and I, I told you about kind of the struggle of putting together our notes because you kind of get lost in, in some yeah. of those moments. Uh, but that's okay. Like, like th- th- These are just things that kind of get hammered out in a script over time until you can't anymore and you got to put it in front of the camera. So even if there are imperfections, even if there are ideas here that I disagree with, there are ideas that I definitely do dis- uh, that I do agree with, and that's what makes for a great story. It lets me contemplate both and gives me something to think about and see that presented in a dramatic way where you can really feel what the characters are going through. So I think it works very well. Uh, how about you, Norm? I mean, I love this episode for the same reasons, many of the same reasons uh, as you stated, John. Like, I love big idea episodes because they ask questions, they answer some, and then in the answering, they ask more questions. And it just kind of creates this wonderful dynamic of being able to have conversations like we're having or we'll have after, you know, in hopefully meetups and, and and talking about this episode in person. This is my kind of science fiction because it makes you think. It makes you just ponder these larger questions of the universe. And I thought this was going to be, you know, a science versus religion themed episode. And I'm glad that it wasn't. I'm mm-hmm. glad it pivoted to more of the existentialist theory versus rationalist or rationalism mm-hmm. type of mentality, you know, <laughs> uh, and <laughs> as we saw in Janeway, um, I think that in this episode, Star Trek handled it better than it has in 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 recent attempts of this more abstract, larger idea, big brushstroke type of you know presentation. But when you really boil it all down, this struck me as something that I've seen before, and it's probably one of my most favorite scenes in science fiction history, at least the science fiction history that I love, and that's in Star mm-hmm. Wars. So in The Empire Strikes Back, 
this is a, this is the tale of the failure of Yoda's cave on Dagobah. See, Luke is they're in the jungle. He's training. They're breaking for you know. He's exhausted, and then he looks and he feels this pull towards this cave, and he he looks at it and he says, "What's in there?" And Yoda says, "Only what you take with you." Now, when I was younger, you know, when Luke puts on all of his weapons and and Yoda says, you won't need them. I always thought that whatever it was on Luke, the the physical things that he was bringing with him, that's what he brought into the cave. But no, what Yoda was saying that what you bring in that cave, doubt, fear, Mm. anxiety, frustration, anger, or the opposite, that's what goes into the cave with you. And this is Janeway. When she walks into that, uh, into the vestibule and she sees those three spirit guides, that's her Yoda. Like they're pushing her to see past what she brings with her, the science and the doubts and the rational rationalization of everything, right? Because it allows her to expand her understanding of why she's doing what she's doing and why Mm. she knows what she knows or what she thinks she knows. Kate does a fabulous job, like probably one of her best performances to date, you know, because it allows her to expand Janeway's, her, her experience and, 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 and thusly our experience through what Kate is bringing through her performance. But, and speaking of performances, one last note. I really do like what Johnny brought to Neelix in this episode. You know, it could have been, it could have been one of those more yeah. cringeworthy performances of how he doesn't know how to handle his relationship with Cass when Cass is in trouble. But no, he really does kind of buckle down his performance and adds a lot of really nice nuance to Neelix's concern um, in contrast to kind of like previous iterations of what Neelix would have done. So, I really do think this this holds up and I really would recommend it just because it makes you ask questions. And I think that's one of Star Trek's greatest tenets. It makes you ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, look, I, when we get to morals, meanings, messages here, and uh, and I think we're saying there's a lot to chew on, and for me, part of the beauty of this episode is you're presented with ideas that then you can, if you agree one side or the other, you say, yes, absolutely, that's the right point, but then something else will come up and you say, no, how could they possibly say that or think that or do that? I think this episode ran the risk of being a preachy this side versus that side science versus religion story or something like that, which you mentioned they didn't really fall into that trap. But you know what? Most of the time, I'm perfectly fine with that approach, too, uh, because it stirs up ideas. It stirs up debate. But what's pleasing here is the depths and the challenges presented to our characters. You know, it's all about dramatizing and putting the the emotional story within that. So it, it would be something else entirely if you just had – you know, the debate team version of this episode where one side presents what they're doing, the other side presents what they're doing, and that's it. No, no, you, you have to go on the character journey for a story like this to really work, and they do that well. I'm going to ask you to forgive me for just a moment because I am going to get a little bit preachy because I was trying to think of a real-world parallel to what's going on here and the roadblocks that are presented in front of Janeway uh, well, and all of Voyager's crew to help solve this problem that puts one of their own in mortal danger. So cutting to the chase here a little bit, the Nakani are prepared to let someone die 
and innocent because of their deeply held religious beliefs. So would you like a real-world example? How about 11-year-old Ian who died from treatable diabetes, but his mother and stepfather decided against medical care? Or 16-year-old Austin who died from a ruptured appendix and suffered at home for a week while nobody took him to a hospital? Or 4-year-old Troy who had Rocky Mountain spotted fever for a week and got no medical care because, again, deeply held beliefs prevented it. And there are thousands and thousands more cases just like those. So those are the places where I can give no quarter to ideas that prevent scientific inquiry when people's lives are at stake. And if I were Janeway, I might not have that kind of patience and professional demeanor that she had. So it's a good thing that she's captain of that ship and not me. I think it is a better takeaway here that what Janeway actually goes through. She, she's sort of at first like a tourist, just assuming that her very surface level understanding of another culture is all she needs. And the more she pushes herself, though, she forms a bond of deeper understanding and appreciation for people who aren't like her and with beliefs that she doesn't share. So if Star Trek is very often about diplomacy and action, she's taken it to the very next step, a, a profound next step by truly immersing herself in the mindset of another world to then reveal what's best for her, what's best for Kess, and ultimately what's best for the Nakani. And I hope the Nakani can take away something here to say that even if there is a real-world scientific explanation for what's going on, it also doesn't have to take away the power of what we have and the power of what we believe. I mean, I don't really have like any specific morals or meanings or messages because I think that this episode only left me with this this opportunity to reflect and ask more questions. And I think maybe that's the point of this episode is to kind of take a page out of like Janeway's experience and ask more questions that ask just more questions. I don't think that there is an actual end or an answer. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That's the question in and of itself. I mean, is it possible mm. to live by just being in contrast to, you know, the list of the, of what you were just talking about, John, you know, because the mm. people that died from those instances could have been, those deaths could have been prevented if someone just decided to take action as opposed to just being, you know, or is it possible to exist by just living? you have to take specific actions in order to exist in a certain way that people want to exist? Is it possible to find the answer to all of life's questions by just listening instead of seeking, instead of looking for the information, instead of looking for the answers? Or does science have all the answers to existentialism's endless questions? For every question that existentialists ask, does science have the answer to, you know, to answer that question. So I mentioned Luke's failure at the cave earlier, because that's how I felt about this episode. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of us of a certain age, you know, we understand that example. But there's another scene from a movie that I'm going to bring up. And I know that is this is the furthest reference from Star Trek that you could possibly get. But it's from 1985's Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. This is, a, this is a scene that has stuck with me my entire life. So there's a scene... In the, in the climax of the movie, spoiler alert, everyone, from 1985, but there's a scene <laughs> at the climax of this movie when our hero, Bruce Leroy, who has been seeking to achieve the ultimate technique, 
He's conf- he confronts his teacher who just gave him an empty fortune cookie at the end of his supposedly failed quest. And Leroy's master tells him, think, Leroy, you have just opened a fortune cookie without a fortune written by a master who does not exist to find the solution to a problem whose answer you already know. Now think about that. And what does that mean? And I think maybe to Janeway, if she had to translate that or her experience in that shrine, there's an answer. It's how do you get to the answer that rounds you, rounds your experience entirely? Hmm. Or is that important? Or is it not? And to leave everyone with more questions and answers, because I think that's what this episode is supposed to do. <laughs> that, that's the theme. Yeah. I think the right way to end my thoughts on this episode comes from an episode of Babylon 5, the episode Death Walker. Ambassador Kosh says to Talia, who is a telepath, who is frustrated with his abstract line of phrases and questions. And ultimately, she, she asks him the one question where he responds, ah, you seek meaning. And she says, yes. And he says, then listen to the music, not the song. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Futures End, Parts 1 and 2. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. So after all that, what you're really telling me is that all Captain Janeway needed was faith of the heart. transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.